First news with Keeler in the morning on WIBX and WIBX950.com. Brian Nobles is standing by from CNN. Ryan, good morning. Hey, Bill. Good morning. How are you guys? Do they tell you at CNN what you can wear and what you can't wear? Uh, I I think the way it works is if you wear something you shouldn't, they let you know. Okay, uh, yeah. They don't do that in Utica. Uh, actually, uh, when I worked in Utica, uh, we would have uh, consultants that would come through, uh, you know, maybe once a quarter, uh, uh, once every six months. Uh, they were like image consultants, and they would take a look at our material, and they would give us recommendations on everything, not just like like our performance, but also the clothes we were wearing and the way we were telling our stories. So, yeah, I actually got quite a bit of guidance on that when I worked. Well, I'll tell you, uh, it's changed a little since the pandemic. Now that very consultant (laughs) has had to take on another job, do two jobs, they do that, and then they also uh, handle upholstery for grandmother couches. Uh, (laughs) They determine what, what looks best. Mm-hmm. On the couch. <laughs> I'm, I'm missing something here in the translation, but that's I'm just going to leave it at that. Yeah, we'll leave it alone. Um, <laughs> but I've seen that upholstery before. I, that's all I can tell you. I've seen it before. Bill's saying that he gets the two jobs confused. Sometimes, Sometimes. yeah. I think he gets confused. It's like, I wouldn't put that on a dress. I would put that on a couch. <laughs> I get so that's it what I'm saying. See what I'm saying? I well, get it It now. took you that long? Just- I didn't think I had to explain it. Yeah. Well, Bill, I don't think anyone's ever accused you of being a fashion icon. But, that is true. Uh, that is true. And everyone's saying, yeah, look at you. Right? That's exactly <laughs> right. Fair enough. Fair enough. I will take that criticism. Uh, okay, Ryan. Uh, so how much of what's your take on how Biden is? Now, Biden has is, is worked this very carefully. He's gotten a great deal of, of unity from the West. Um, now, as he goes in with Putin, um Putin kind of holds all the cards. He could really make Biden look bad here. Um, what do you think is going to come out of this? Yeah, so I, I think that the, the foreign trip for Biden up until now has been very productive. I think he's accomplished a lot of what he wanted to accomplish. But to your point, I think if today doesn't go well, the rest of the week really doesn't matter. Right. You know, this is really the most important stage uh, of this, uh, this trip for him. And, you know, I think what Biden is hoping is that, uh, you know, as much as Putin wants to mess with the United States, is probably not that interested in the United States being success- successful. There are some areas uh, where a cooperation with the United States would be beneficial to Russia, and that's what Biden needs to exploit. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, you know, Putin is looking out for the best interests of his country, or even more specifically himself. And if they can find, you know, agreement on, you know, there's this very controversial pipeline that's, uh, you know, they're attempting to bypass Ukraine with uh, and uh, allow Russia to sell oil without having to deal with Ukraine. You know, if Biden pulls his finger off of that, uh, you know, that could maybe make life easier for Putin. And so then maybe he might give in some other areas. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, a lot of these the details of these conversations aren't really going to be as important as the optics and. It's what the two of them will say after their press conference and, and the way they both act uh, and, and whether or not they declare victory or if they attack each other. That may be the import, most important part of the summit, uh, which we'll see later this morning. Um, so if you were to make a prediction, I mean, uh, I feel like this is almost a, it's a very difficult challenge for, uh, for him to come out looking good. Well, you know, I think that... Uh, 
I think they're going to both go out of their way to not make news today. Mm. Um, that I mean, that and maybe I'll, I'll be wrong with that. You know, if you saw Putin's interview with NBC leading up to it, and uh, you know, we had an interview with their foreign minister. You know, they seem to be, uh, you know, uh, they seem to be a little bit more diplomatic than they have been in past uh, interviews. And yeah. uh, you know, the relationship with Putin and Trump is so much different than the relation with relationship with Putin and Biden. Uh, I think it's a little bit more of an even uh, playing field. So I, I don't think that Putin necessarily wants to mess with Biden on such a public stage. Uh, but to your point, Bill, you know, the, the, where Biden might find himself in trouble is just answering questions from the American media that will be particularly probing uh, that he's not going to want to specifically answer questions to. Like, right. for instance, is, is, is someone in the American press going to ask the president today very specifically, did you tell uh, Vladimir Putin that he has to release opposition leader Alexander Navalny from jail? Or, or, or did you say specifically to him that if Navalny uh, ends up dead in a Russian prison, that there's going to be serious international consequences? And Biden may not want to answer that question, and then that's going to allow uh, the press and the pundits to fill the void right. of what could have happened. So right. I, I think that's where Biden runs the biggest risk, because he's not going to want to answer specific questions about what they talked about. Uh, and that's going to lead to speculation and then perhaps criticism. What do you mean by uh, in this case they're on they're on more of a level playing field? Well, you know, uh, President Trump never did not have any kind of diplomatic experience, uh, you know, with world powers when he became president of the United States. It just wasn't something that he had experience with. He didn't uh, understand foreign policy. He was never really a part of foreign policy. You know, I, I'm sure his supporters will make some sort of argument that uh, as a business leader, he had some sort of interaction with foreign governments, and that gave him the experience necessary. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Joe Biden's been doing this since the, the late 70s. This is, you know, he's known Vladimir Putin personally since uh, the, the late 70s. He understands how he operates. He has a historical and uh, experiential knowledge of, of the way Russia has risen and fallen over the course of his diplomatic career. So this this is his wheelhouse. Biden understands foreign policy in a way that a lot of other presidents don't. You know, I'd make the same comparison with Barack Obama. Uh, Obama did not have, was not on the same playing field uh, that Biden would be going into a situation like this. And then, of course, you know, uh, Trump also had the baggage of Russia attempting to intervene uh, in the 2016 election and just how much uh, Trump may or may not have known about that and whether or not his campaign benefited from it. It just put him at a stark disadvantage that Biden didn't have. Uh, so that's what I mean by that. And this you is know, also very this is also this is old school leadership meeting uh, Biden from the old school Putin, who who certainly came uh, uh, came out of, uh, of, of communist Soviet uh, Russia so you're you're dealing with it's almost like back to the to the way it used to be in a meeting like this. Whereas with with President Trump, um, I think we we're all waiting to see what could happen. No one knew. I think we expect more of what's going to happen here. There's more predictability. Does that make any sense? Yes, I think you're right. And also the other thing too about the difference between Trump and Biden's approach to Putin is that uh, Trump was very complimentary of Putin. You know, he went out of his way not to criticize him or the Russian government, where Biden has been exactly the opposite. I mean, Biden has called Putin a killer before. Uh, so that, you know, changes the dynamics uh, of a conversation like this as well. And, and, I, and I think Putin understands that as well. I mean, when you, 
you know, what he said in the NBC interview was pretty revealing uh, about what he thought about Biden and, and what this conversation is going to be like. So it's just a different, completely different playing field that we're talking about here than what it was like when we saw this happen with Trump and Putin a couple of years ago. Right. Um, all right. So away from all of that, while the president is away, is there any progress being made on infrastructure? So, you know, the, the Biden domestic agenda really has run into a huge roadblock here because uh, Joe Manchin won't allow the filibuster to go through. There's, a, you know, a wide range of issues that have been held hostage to that, you know, and, and infrastructure is one of them. Uh, you know, the, there is a group of 10 Republican and Democratic senators that hatched a deal. Uh, they're going to meet with a, a larger group of moderate senators. Uh, 20 of them will meet today and try, and those 10 senators will try and convince those 20 senators to come on board. But, Bill, I honestly don't think that there's just enough will to pass that bipartisan package through at this point. You know, there were at least, you know, five or six progressive Senate Democrats who came out yesterday saying that they were not going to support this bipartisan plan. So, you know, it's like you add, but then you also subtract. So maybe you've got five Republicans now, but you've lost five Democrats. Uh, so... You know, every time the uh, proposal inches a little bit further in the Republican direction, you uh, run the risk of losing Democrats on the other side of the equation because things are so divided now. You know, 15 years ago, the the bulk of the Congress was kind of huddled up in the middle. You had people that wanted to make bipartisan deals. Now the Congress is so polarizing that every time a deal becomes more bipartisan, you run the risk of losing people. So. You know, the caveat I would put to all of that is I think the, the scenario in which you could see a bipartisan infrastructure package pass is if there was some sort of negotiation that also opened the door to uh, them passing a second bill through reconciliation with only Democratic support that has some of those soft infrastructure plans that we talked about. Um, and I think the key to that is going to be President Biden coming out and endorsing the bipartisan package. That's the one yeah. wild card that we haven't had here yet, because I think there are a lot of Democrats who, to themselves, probably aren't thrilled with the bipartisan package. They don't like the idea that it doesn't raise taxes on the wealthy. They don't like the idea that it, 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 it is going to raise the gas tax. They don't think that it's enough money and it doesn't include enough for climate change. But if Joe Biden comes out and says, this is a deal we need to make, then I think you see a lot of Democrats fall in line. And, and that's isn't, that, open and isn't, yeah. isn't that supposed to be Biden's big, uh, that's that's his wheelhouse, to be able to go in and negotiate with uh, with Congress and get stuff done? Uh, 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 Obama used to use him that way. That's 100% right. And, and the other thing, too, I think is so interesting about watching these negotiations play out, that if Joe Biden were still in the Senate right now, he'd be in that group of 10 senators, right? He'd be one of the 10 moderate uh, senators looking to strike a bipartisan deal. So when you put him in that position now as president, you think he'd be you know, championing this group to try and get a deal done. So that's why I do think there's that possibility that he tries to get something done with this. The other side of that coin, though, is that Biden's institutional knowledge also teaches him that the window to get these big, bold packages done is so very short. You know, he was there as vice president when uh, the Obama administration pushed through the health care deal and they made concessions that they later came to regret because they were trying to get bipartisan support and then right. they ended up not even getting it. So
So, uh, you know, I do think that Biden, this is the end of his political career. He's not in the middle or the beginning. If he's going to shoot his shot, he's got to do it now. He may decide that it's not worth it to go the bipartisan route because he wants this big, massive package. Uh, The question, though, is, is he even able to do that because of Mm -hmm. senators like Manchin and Sinema who may not let him go down that route? It's a really interesting dynamic that's going to play out over the next couple weeks. A story out there uh, today I thought was pretty interesting of uh, uh, involving January 6th, the Insurrection Day. And it says that uh, the social media platform Parler, which I think was shut, was that shut down? Was that one of the ones that was shut down? Yeah. Uh, were taken off of all major platforms. So Parler made several, turned over several posts to the FBI and the Justice Department prior to January 6th. They said were alarming and and felt warranted uh, investigation by the FBI, and the FBI let it drop. So, you know, Parler was blamed... It doesn't sound like Parler was at fault. They they came forward and said, we're seeing some stuff that could be really, really bad. You guys should look into it. And, and the feds did nothing. I thought that was pretty remarkable, too, Bill. I, you know, I was, my jaw dropped when I yeah. saw that Parler, you know, that there was evidence that Parler uh, relayed that information. And, and there's two sides of it that I think are interesting. The one that you point out. The parlor was actually kind of a, a good steward of this information uh, when, you know, the criticism of them has been that they've been kind of a, a home for this, uh, right. you know, kind of anti-American uh, white supremacist rhetoric. But then the other end of it is, and this just keeps coming up every single time we have one of these hearings where these uh, leaders, law enforcement leaders are brought in front of Congress, uh, the, the overwhelming thing that we learn every single time is how badly they botched the interpretation of this intelligence leading up to that day. It's not as if the information wasn't there. It was there, and it seems like every time we have one of these hearings, there's another example of where it came from. And in the beginning, when it was like, well, there was just this kind of sketchy report from the Norfolk field office where we thought there was some sort of, uh, you know, online chatter that something could go wrong. Well, at each one of these hearings, there's another example from another location uh, that showed that there's there was a mass of information showing that they needed to be more prepared than they were that day. Yep. Uh, and I, you know the the FBI prides itself on being able to gather this in type of intelligence and interpret it. Uh, they clearly botched that, and it makes you wonder what other examples of this are, you know are simmering uh, underneath uh, you know on the dark web right now that we're not even aware of that they're not paying close enough attention right, to. And I right. think you know, I think that's an area where there's going to be a need for serious reform because it just doesn't seem that this version of the FBI understands how to interpret online chatter uh, and then and and then take advantage of it in a way to prevent stuff like this from happening. It's it's really shocking, and it, and it, it, it you know it's something that we're learning about each and every time. The other thing that came up yesterday was how these online groups were using cryptocurrency to kind of funnel money into mm-hmm. some of these groups. Uh, and that there's the threat that that's something that's still happening and that there could be bad foreign actors that are funneling cryptocurrencies into these, you know, domestic terror groups, uh, yeah. uh, you know, to, to encourage them to cause a ruckus. And we don't necessarily have that great of a track of it because cryptocurrency uh, is so underground right now. So, yeah, there was a lot of revealing yeah, stuff in that yeah. hearing yesterday. Uh, all right. Interesting stuff, Ryan. Thanks so much. We'll do it again next week and enjoy your week. All right, Mets in uh, Washington this weekend. I'm hoping to get to a couple of games. Uh, uh, first place oh, looking. that's very, right. Very, very good right now. Well, they're, they're looking pretty good. Loving yep. this right now. Uh, all, right, all right, thanks, guys. Good stuff, Ryan. Have thanks. Good all right, bye-bye.